0: We come to you this morning acknowledging our need for your help, asking that you would be present in this time, that you would speak to our hearts. Lord, in the simplicity of this message this morning, I pray that even its very simplicity would would, um, pierce through. The fog and the haze that sometimes comes when we get caught up in the whirl of day-to-day life and caught up in the intensity of navigating life with other sin-fallen creatures and all the challenges and dynamics that come between us when we have to walk the road of life together. Lord, I pray that you would speak to us and that you would guide us throughout this morning. May your presence be here. Would you please give ease of communication on both sides of this equation, Lord, speaker and hearer. Lord, may your word uh, penetrate my own heart and help me to live out the message that I preach this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. So real quickly this morning, over the past couple of weeks, we have looked at uh, this theme of ours, Be the Church, this theme for 2022. We've talked about the fact that it must be uh, animated by the example of Christ. This was from 2 Corinthians a few weeks ago, that we are, uh, because of the work of the Lord Jesus Christ, we are ministers, we are ambassadors of reconciliation, and that in this we follow the Lord Jesus' footsteps. He came to this earth to reconcile us to himself, and we are supposed to be ministers, ambassadors of reconciliation to the world around us. We are not to be overcome by fear. Fear is not to be part of what animates the church. It is not supposed to be what drives the church. So we've been looking at at, uh, the words of Paul to Timothy, a young man who had been assigned to pastoral ministry in Ephesus, someone who seems to have been of a rather timid nature, someone who was facing uh, the possibility of persecution under the emperor Nero, and someone who was facing all the challenges that, that pastors, especially young pastors, face in ministry. The temptations that come their way, the challenges that come their way, so Paul has to tell them how to deal with younger men, how to deal with Older men, how to treat the younger women, how to treat the older women. And there's all these instructions, what it means for a younger pastor to to have the courage to sometimes rebuke and correct and do things that they have to do. It's not easy. It wasn't easy, especially for a man with a timid disposition. And so Paul has to encourage him that God's not given him a spirit of fear. So he reminds Timothy of the gift that is in him. You have a gift that is in you, a spiritual gift that's been given to you. You're not animated by a spirit of fear, but you've been empowered by the Holy Spirit. That is, you've been given a spirit of power to carry out the ministry of reconciliation, the ministry that God has given to you. You have a spirit of power. And it was that spirit of power that we focused on last week. So we're looking at 2 Timothy Chapter 1, verses 6 and 7, as a, re, as a way of reminding ourselves that, uh, of, of what spirit it is that animates the church. That is, what, what is the spirit of God that has been given to us, to all believers, and what therefore the church is supposed to be and supposed to not be. We're not supposed to be governed by fear. We have been given a spirit of power. And this morning, I did not plan it this way. It was quite coincidental, but entirely appropriate that today we move to the next part, which is a spirit of love, spirit of love. I wish I was good enough to plan that stuff out. 2 Timothy 1, 6 and 7. And for this reason, I remind you to kindle afresh the gift of God which is in you through the laying on of my hands, for God has not given us a spirit of timidity, we we define that at length, fear, but of power, last week, of love, today, and discipline, or sound mind, or self-control, depending on what translation you use. So happy Valentine's Day. We're going to focus on the spirit of love today. Now, we have, uh, I, I uh, believe, done this before, so I'm not going to belabor it or ask you to do it again today, but let me just run through a quick list. There are so many pictures of love in Scripture, some of the more vivid examples or pictures of love that you would think of in Scripture. Um, there would probably, there, there would certainly be others besides the ones I'm going to mention. Somebody is snow blowing. At least that's what it sounds like. Oh, okay. Um, uh, so many vivid pictures of love. I'm not sure. Um, I'm not sure which ones you would come up with as the most significant. But here's a few of them. You know, Jonathan and David. Presents to us a rather remarkable, uh, a mar- remarkable example of. There is somebody driving a tractor down our. <laughs> I think somebody just went out. Is that ours the angry neighbor. <laughs> or is that a neighbor? What is going on out there? <laughs> Thank you. I mean, I don't want to cause a problem. It's just, I don't know, it's loud. <laughs> um, uh, never a dull moment. Um, Jonathan and David, let me just real quickly uh, uh, give a brief description. Think about, think about Jonathan's love for David for a second. It put him in the position of risking his own father's disapproval and required him to surrender his right to the throne. Not many people would love enough to do both of those. Right? In fact, I think most of us would say that it's a rarity that we would counsel someone to love a friend so much that they act in disapproval toward their father. Nobody agree that ordinarily that's not the way you expect things to go. But in this case, it was the appropriate thing to do. Jonathan, Jonathan is so allied to David in his heart, has such a love for David in his heart, understands to one degree or another so profoundly what God is doing in the kingdom of Israel at the time that he knows that the position his father is taking toward David is wrong. He sides with David, gives David the love that a friend gives to a friend that, that, that is faithful, and, and is willing in that love for David to say, even if it means that I'm not the king someday, you're going to be the king. I'll stand up for you. That's a remarkable thing to do. We human beings do not surrender power easily. David, Jonathan does it for love. He does it for love, right? He loves David to that degree. Second example would be the Good Samaritan. The thing that's so remarkable about this story that Jesus tells is that this man goes to personal trouble and expense on behalf of a stranger who happens to be part of a nation of which he was their greatest prejudice? Right? This is a Samaritan helping a Jew, knowing that the Jews hated him. By the way, that feeling was pretty mutual. <laughs> so, this is, a, this is a story when Jesus is asked, um, uh, Who's your neighbor? He would said, love the Lord your God, love your neighbor as yourself. Well, who's your neighbor? Jesus deliberately tells a story in which the hero of the story, that is the, the example of the love of a neighbor, takes the form of someone who would have been their natural enemy, their, their, their group of people they would have been most prejudiced against. And he says, even if it's someone that you would have a reason to naturally be prejudiced against. You see him lying on the road, you, you bend down, you help him, you shell out your own money to, to put him in a, a, in a hotel and to get him cared for. That's the kind of thing I'm talking about when I talk about the love of a neighbor. That's the thing, that's the kind of love that you're supposed to have for one another. Love your neighbors as yourself. It's a remarkable story. And it pierces to the heart those, those areas that we would be uninclined to love someone in. The person that you'd be least inclined to love is exactly where love is demanded. I think all of us would point to 1 Corinthians 13. By the way, 1 Corinthians 13 is smack dab in the middle of two chapters. Chapter 12 is dealing with spiritual gifts. Chapter 14 is dealing with spiritual gifts. The issue that Paul is correcting is the misuse of those gifts in public worship in the church. There seems to have been somewhat of a competitive spirit in the Corinthian church, where people were using their gifts over top of each other and in conflict with each other. And in the middle, the apostle Paul says, let me show you a more excellent way. Here's the spirit of love that is supposed to animate God's people. Listen, love ought to make it easier, if not easy, for us to defer to one another. Notice that in the the chapters that are in question, Paul is not talking about tolerating each other's weaknesses, but surrendering our strengths for each other. I have gifts. I have strengths. And... And the Apostle Paul is saying, yes, but we all have gifts and we all have strengths and sometimes they come into competition with each other when we have to live in close proximity with each other. So in your public meetings, you've got to understand that it's not the greatness of your gift, but the greatness of love that's going to have to dominate. Let me say this again in a, in a, uh, in a little bit different way. These are These are... Things that get practically applied to our families. Our families, we have differences among us. My strengths are not my wife's strengths. My wife's strengths are not my strengths. What is it going to have to be? If it becomes a battle of two people affirming their God-given strengths, well, we're going to have a long, hard fight on our hands. Somewhere along the line... Someone has to be willing to defer to the other, and both of us have to be willing to let a spirit of love prevail above our gifts, above our strengths, right? And to recognize that there's something more vital at stake here than me asserting my strengths. That there's a a sense in which love is that engine oil that keeps the parts running smoothly. Otherwise, the friction and the heat are going to get too great, and it's going to tear the engine apart. Right? We have to have the Spirit. Otherwise, we end up watching things break down. One of my, one of my favorite examples of love is found in uh, the Gospel of John. I've referred to, this, uh, referred to this numerous times, but in John chapter 13, verse 1, Now before the feast of the Passover, Jesus, knowing that his hour had come, that he should depart out of this world to the Father, having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. Having loved his own who were in this world, he loved them to the end. You know, there is a sense in which love is as love ends, right, that it's really, it's really not about the romance of your courtship, it's about the faithfulness of your old years. Um, I'm coming up on my 35th anniversary, so I'm putting myself in that category, it's a lot of years, right? That it's as, as, at, it's as it ends. And, and notice this. You think about the life of Jesus. You think about the incredible patience that he displayed toward a, a ragtag, ragtag band of men that had challenges between them, right? I, I think of Jesus rolling his eyes, realizing, can you believe it? They're arguing about who's going to be greatest in the kingdom, I mean, what a fight to have. How many of you would be embarrassed? Right? Jesus turned around, what were you guys talking about? Well, truth is, we were having a big debate of, about which one of us would be the highest in the kingdom. <laughs> you know, it's so... Right? Jesus had loved them all along, and now he comes to the very end. Listen. And the end is going to mean the cross. Will I lay down my life for this group of people that I've been carrying for three plus years now? He had loved them all along. He loved them to the end. It points us straight at the cross where we have the ultimate example. John 15, 13 is where we read that statement, greater love has no man than this, than a man lay down his life for his friends. That he laid down his life for his friends. Out of curiosity, how many of you have ever wondered about that line when it says that he laid down his life for his friends? And thought to yourself, greater love, oh, lots of people would lay down their lives for their friends. I don't know why that's the greatest love of them all. Does that, that thought ever occurred to anyone? Why is it that he says that? You know what I think the answer to that is? I think the answer to that is, when we understand that Jesus died for the sins of the world, he was, in that word, friends, including everybody whose sins he was dying for. He considered them all his friends. Right? That when he died, he died for the thief on the cross, he died for those who were reviling him and rejecting him and spitting at him. And his offer of salvation, the, the, the uh, effectiveness of his sacrifice was just as good for everyone. All of them, each individual as it was for the other. Those who passed by and, and, and hurled accusations at him, Jesus was praying, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. He was laying down his life, considering even his enemies, his friends. Now you say to yourself, I'm not sure. Except that scripture tells us that God has commended his love for us in that while we were yet his enemies, Christ died for us. Isn't that what it says? While we were still his enemies, Christ died for us. That there is a sense in which Jesus was looking at those for whom he died as as what they could be because of his sacrifice, not what they were as they were throwing accusations at him. The greatness of Jesus' love toward us. Now, when you consider all these examples, the weight of what Scripture teaches us, when you think about the context in which Paul was writing to Timothy, A young man in pastoral ministry, doing hard things for a young pastor in in leadership, and facing the possibility of persecution. What is the significance of Paul's words to Timothy? Timothy, God has given you a spirit of love. God has given you a spirit of love. He has not given you a spirit of fear but he has given you a spirit of power and of love. And we'll get to the last one later on. What's the significance of love? Well, let me take you through just a few thoughts on love. And and please hear this, the various levels. Level one, we're still in this series on who we're supposed to be as the church. So we're just thinking about what it is that we're supposed to be as believers, who it is that we should be in ministry to our communities. So they don't like us parking in front of their homes. We love them enough not to park in front of their homes. It's just what we do, right? We love them. Seems silly. It's a public street. We'll do it, right? Not a big deal. Why? Because we love people. Because a spirit of love animates us, right? This is part of who we've been called to be. But taken very personally, my brothers and sisters, this is a great Valentine's Day message. And I want to tell you that if you hear this, These five things can transform your home. When a spirit of love dominates our relationships, this spirit that we're talking about, it ought to to be what dominates our ministry to the outside world, a spirit of power, love, and a sound mind, not fear. It ought to be what governs the way we interact with one another in here. It ought to be what what governs the way we interact in our homes. What does it mean that God has given us a spirit of love? Well, let me start with this. The spirit of love, first of all, it's not merely an emotion, but warmth of feeling is part of the love package. It is part of the love package. So one commentator described it this way. He said, spirit, the spirit of love is the warmth of feeling and not coldness God would put into our service. Let me give you a quick example. Um, how many of you enjoy reading the miracles of Jesus in the New Testament? The correct answer to that is yes. <laughs> me, right? Right? How many of you are grateful for the fact that it tells us repeatedly that Jesus would look upon the multitudes and be what? Moved. With what? Compassion. Listen, how many of you would agree that it would have been, in some senses, well, that he could have just done what was good for the masses without any feeling behind it at all? But how many of you kind of it's a happy thing that he was moved with compassion to do what he did. That the reason he did it was a reason that, that you can relate to. And that, I don't know, what does it do for you? It kind of lets me know that that my Savior feels kindly toward me. Amen. Listen, when uh, it's just the convenience of Valentine's Day being tomorrow, it shouldn't be just tomorrow, it should be every day of the year, but when husbands and wives lay down in bed together, if the extent of it is, well, today I went to work to provide for you, or... Today, I took the car, got it serviced for you. Today, I filled the tank with gas so you wouldn't have to do it. Today, I cooked a meal so that we could all eat. Today, I ran the vacuum cleaner or did the dishes. All of those things are appreciated. But when you get in bed together and the day's done... You want somebody who has affection for you it's not just it's not just beneficial function. Amen? We, we want a soft and warm heart that calls out to us that relates to us closely. We want that, don't we? Please hear this I don't believe that that is a worldly definition of love. If that's as far as it goes, it might be a worldly definition of love. But the amazing thing about Scripture is that it demonstrates in the person of Jesus Christ that the love of God is expressed toward human beings in very tender sorts of ways. That He's moved with compassion towards the needs of people. That when... That when um, Lazarus dies, he cries tears and everybody says, Behold how much he loved him. Or that in the final hours of his life, the disciple that he loved had his head on Jesus' somewhere up here. Right? Had his head lying close to him. You think to yourself, That was a bosom buddy kind of affection that was shared in that moment. It didn't have to be that way. It could just be do the right thing for each other. But it goes beyond that, doesn't it? It goes beyond that. That there's something in this that becomes deeply satisfying. It's fascinating because in 1 Corinthians 13, we're told this, what shall it profit a man... And it gives us a whole list of some of the most incredible things anyone could do for another. If you sell all your gifts, sell all your possessions and give them to the poor, but you do not have love, you say to yourself, come on! What would be greater love than selling everything you have to give to somebody else? If you give your body to be burned and you don't have love, you say, how could you do that and not love? Right? Now listen, I'm not suggesting... That what is pointed at there is primarily, well, you should do it with the right feeling in your heart. That's not, the, that's not the, the exact idea of the passage. But the point is this. It is possible for us human beings, even when we're doing the right things, to not be animated by a spirit of love. To not be animated by a spirit of love. And if all you have is you look at the other person and said. I do the right thing for you. It might be a very cold home. It might be a really cold home. It might be a really cold church. God's called us to a spirit of love. Emotion is not all of the missing link, but it's a little part of the package. Maybe even not a little part of the package. Maybe we could say it's... It's a significant part of the package. It's an important part of the package. that We love each other. That we actually have affection for one another. Amen? Warmth of feeling toward one another. That should be part of who we are as believers. Secondly, I find it interesting that that as soon as Paul tells Timothy, you are... You, are, you have been given a spirit of power, he immediately says, and of love. And of love. How many of you remember the story of uh, King Solomon ascending to the throne and he asks the older men what he should do as a king? And they say, to, because the people are complaining about the taxation system and the burdens that have been placed upon. and the older men look at him and say, listen, if you'll lighten the burdens on the people just a little bit, lighten up on them. You lighten up on them, and they will, they will love you, and they will serve you faithfully as long as you're king. Then he goes to his friends, the young men, and he says, what do you guys think I should do? What do they say? They're on the power trip, aren't they? Well, you can't start off your reign as a wimpy king. You got to show you're the man, right? So they look at him, and you say, they say, here's what you tell them." My pinky finger will be thicker than my father's waist. My father made it hard on you. I'm going to make it harder on you. Assert your authority, bud. Let him know who's boss. Here's a young man. He's just been told, you've got a spirit of power. By the way, you're also filled with a spirit of love. Young man, don't let that power go to your head. Young man, don't let that power take you to a place that makes you think you're bigger than what you really are. Because you've been given a spirit of love that will temper that that expression of power. It will temper the way you express power to those around you. My brothers and sisters, as servants of Christ, we should be exercising power only as the means to do what love requires us to do. Our use of power is a power that is used for the sake of accomplishing what love demands that we should accomplish. We should be driven by a spirit of love. Let me give you one more quick example. How many of you agree that God has power? Amen? Amen? How many of you are thankful that he chastens those whom he loves? Man, if he chastened those he was just mad at and didn't love, you ever think about what would happen if God ever once lost his temper? If God's love was ever once, if God's power was ever once unrestrained by his love, what would happen? What would happen? Right? that God chastens, that his chastening is measured, is tempered. Uh, The other day I was talking to some people, we were kind of joking around, laughing a little bit about our experiences growing up and how we had been disciplined growing up. And man, the world has changed since I was a young man. Anybody noticed? Right. Um, Listen, discipline's a legitimate thing. But the call of God is that we are not to provoke our children to wrath. At least in theory, discipline is not supposed to be something that we do when we're angry. It's supposed to be something that we do that is measured, kept in check, by the fact that we love the person that we're dealing with. That love is what dominates us and puts some serious restraints on the exercise of power. You guys have heard that old joke, right? I brought you into this world. I can take you out. You might have the power to do that, but love would never let you do that. Right? Love will restrain the exercise of power. Thirdly, Love provides us with the energy we need to keep on giving, keep on doing, and keep on serving on behalf of others. Paul is writing to Timothy, and he's telling him as a young man with a long career of ministry ahead of him, this is the spirit that God has given to you to enable you to fulfill the gift that God has placed in you. Keep going. In fact, in other places, Paul says to Timothy things like, Timothy, you must endure things that are hard like a good soldier of Jesus Christ. You have to endure them. You have to endure. Right? That love is that thing that motivates us to keep doing things that are difficult. To keep doing the giving and the doing and the serving. Even when it gets difficult to do that, love is the thing that keeps us going. Love is the thing that motivates us. Love provides us with the energy that is needed to keep on. Love, let me say it this way, love fuels endurance. It fuels endurance. It provides the motivation to keep going when tiredness or discouragement or frustration sets in. Love keeps us going. It fuels our fire. I sat and had a long debate with myself about this, but I don't know if I won or if I lost. Some of you might relate to this. Um, How many of you remember this phrase? Hello, my name is Inigo Montoya. You killed my father. Prepare to die, thank you. How many believe that hatred can be a a powerful motivator? But what's the theme of the whole story? It's this. True love. Remember? It's true love. True love that takes people beyond all difficulties, takes them through the fire swamp, right? Right? takes them through all the challenges of life, all the threats, all the difficulties, and they'll fight for each other to the bitter end, right? What's interesting about it, not to to turn that story into scripture, because it's not, but what's interesting about it is when revenge is satisfied, he stops and pauses and realizes he's got nothing left to live for, I've been in the revenge business for so long, I don't know what to do with with the rest of my life. Whereas those who are driven by love, doesn't matter what they do with the rest of their lives, they're together, right? That love endures. It just keeps going. There's always a reason to keep going when it's love that fuels my heart. This is is what Paul is saying to Timothy. Timothy. That spirit of love, Timothy, is going to keep your endurance strong, keep you in that place of doing what you're supposed to do for the kingdom of God, even if it means persecution, even if it means hardship. And listen, it's love that will keep you in your marriage. It's love that will keep you in the marriage. Not just the emotion, not just the, but the whole package of what love is will keep you in it to the end. It fuels the endurance that we need to stay in it even when things are difficult our love for god and our love for one another fourthly and i'm just about done i chose the word carefully it's an extreme word i don't it, it probably shouldn't be this extreme but i extreme but i thought it would be best to describe it this way love has a way of blinding us to danger and risk so that we overcome fear It blinds us to danger and to risk so that we overcome our fear. You think of uh, a parent running back into a burning house, blind, not literally, right? They might be aware of the danger and the risk, but they just can't keep their eyes on the danger and the risk when there's a child in there that needs to be saved. Love overcomes fear. Love takes over makes danger and risk seem too small to be considerable. I can't focus on that. I got to go where love compels me to go. It's why 1 John 4.18 says, there is no fear in love, but perfect love drives out fear because fear involves punishment. The one who fears is not perfected in love. Listen, let me say it this way. From that scripture verse, the fear of punishment may prevent you from doing evil, but only love can make you righteous. Fear of punishment. How many of you have heard, heard people talk about capital punishment being a deterrent? Listen to this. Punishment, the fear of punishment can deter wrong behavior, but it cannot, it cannot, it cannot create right behavior. It cannot motivate people to treat each other well. You might want to kill them and not kill them because you're afraid of what will happen to you if you kill them. But the fear of what will happen to you will never make you treat them nice. Only love can make you do that. Love has this way of casting out fear. Of putting fear behind us so that we overcome things that would be natural barriers to laying ourselves down for that person, giving ourselves to them and for them. And that brings me to the last one. Love is the inspiration for self-sacrifice. It's why I said that love doesn't end with emotion. It's part of it. Feeling is part of it, but it's not close to the end of it. Love does all of these things. Love provides us with warmth of feeling. Love is, is, is that in part. But it is also that which compels us to sacrifice for others. No believer, whether it's in the setting of the church as a church member, or in your home as a spouse, or a parent, or a child, no believer can afford to let their lives become self-oriented. You know, the opposite of love is not really hate. The opposite of love is selfishness. It's selfishness. Hatred is just the result of loving yourself too much. Right? The opposite of of love is committed to yourself, being committed to yourself. Timothy's life, whether he was facing persecution or conducting ministry, was only going to succeed fruitfully if he was willing to make sacrifices. If he was willing to make sacrifices to lay down his life for those that he was going to serve. And please hear this, since it is Valentine's Day, let me apply it to our homes for a second. And I'm going to speak specifically to the men for a second. Men, this is the first law of husbandry. It's the first law of husbandry. And I'll tell you why it's the first law of husbandry. It's the first law of being a husband because it's the essence of the gospel. It's the essence of the cross. It's the essence of the new covenant. It's the, new, it's the essence of the example of Jesus. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself for it. That is, died for it. Sacrificed himself for it. Laid down his life for it. Listen, self-sacrifice is essential to relationships. By the way, ladies, there's a version of this that applies to you in different words. To, to put yourself under. That, that politically incorrect word, Submit. That is not something that comes naturally to any human being. That absolutely requires a death to self. These are not things that come naturally for us. But the fact of the matter is, the willingness to put self aside, the drive to self-sacrifice, is absolutely essential to relationships. In fact, it's absolutely essential to accomplishing anything in life. Anyone who has ever accomplished anything worth accomplishing has done it because they sacrificed something else they could have been doing. There is always sacrifice involved. In anything worth doing, there's going to be sacrifice involved. It's not only in relationships, it's not only in accomplishment, but it is the very essence of discipleship. Because Jesus told us, if any man's going to follow me, he's going to have to deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. This spirit of love is supposed to be that which animates the church. I don't believe that we should look at it this way. We should look at it as, well, since I'm not supposed to have a spirit of fear, I am supposed to have a spirit of power. That's the most important. Love is the next most important, the sound mind. I believe we should look at it like this. It's a package deal. This is the spirit that animates us. And the core of it is love. The center of it is love. It expresses itself in a variety of ways. We have been given a spirit of power. But love is the core of it all. It's the thing that endures. It's the thing that causes us to endure. The call today is that we would be a people who know how to love. Love one another. Love the world around us. Love those we live with, who sometimes are the most difficult ones for us to love. Love those we live with. We would be animated by a spirit of love. Today... We're going to have a very practical way of uh, demonstrating this. I want you to know that if you either were unaware of the fact that we were going to receive an extra offering this morning, or you forgot, you can do this at a future time, and we will make sure that it gets where it needs to go. Um, um, But part of what it means to love is to sacrifice for one another. And there's a need in our congregation right now. We're going to give to that need. We're not going to make a big deal of it. We're just going to do it. And uh, if you're writing a check, make it out to Life in Christ Fellowship and everything will just be deposited and a check, one check will be written and it'll, it'll be passed on to a, a family in need in our fellowship. Um, it just works out this way that we get to do this. I mean... Can I just say it this way? This is, we're just not obligated to do this. We get to do this. (laughs) We get to do this. We're like, this ought to be, this ought to be like excitement time. We get to do this. We're privileged to do this, right? That God has given us the privilege of standing side by side with other brothers and sisters in Christ. And we get to do this. I'm going to, uh, I'm going to ask if our ushers would come and they're gonna receive our offering. I'm gonna ask you to bow your heads and, and close your eyes for a minute. We're gonna respond in prayer. As they pass the offering plates, you just put them in. We're not gonna call a lot of attention to this. The, it's not a matter of, of giving publicly or not. Let's just, let's just bow. And here's what I'd like to ask for you to do this morning as we're receiving this offering. I'd like you to take a moment before the Lord and just say, Lord God, let my heart be filled with a spirit of love today. And I'd like to ask you this morning, especially, especially, if you're in a situation where that love has been stretched and has been challenged, Jeff, come on up and just quietly pass the offering plates around while we're responding to the Lord this morning. If there's a place or a person where that, Jeff, where that love has just been stretched thin and has been difficult for you lately, I'm going to ask you to say this morning, Lord, this is is a characteristic of your spirit in me. This has to go beyond what I'm capable of by myself. Lord, I'm finding it difficult to love this person. I'm finding it difficult to let love be the dominant factor in the way I relate to this person. And I'm calling upon you for help today. I'm calling upon you for help today. Lord, there's a a deep challenge that I have. You don't necessarily have to tell the person next to you. But please remember this. The Lord Jesus, well, He knows what's in our hearts. When you tell him what's in your heart, you're not telling him something that he doesn't know. You're doing that healthy form of confession that brings it out into the open. He knows what's in your heart, so you might as well talk to him about it. Lord, this person is difficult for me. and Right now... I'm finding it hard to love him. Tell it to him like it is. He can take it. But then ask him to fill your heart with a spirit of love toward this person. Ask him to help you to love. I don't know how you conduct things in your home, in your family, but my encouragement to you is sometime today, tomorrow, find a way to make a real expression of love toward the people around you. Express it in a way that's tangible, that's visible, that's feelable. Express your love to one another. Lord Jesus, we come to you this morning and we would, we would desire to be a people that are motivated, that are moved, that are filled with that fruit of the Spirit that begins with love. Lord, teach us to love one another well. Teach us to love one another well. Lord, whether it's in our church or whether it's in our homes, teach us to love one another well. Lord, when we walk out into our world, help us to love people well. Help us to be Moved by that spirit that animated the Lord Jesus Christ. Greater love has no man man than this, that a man lay down his life for his friends. Help us to remember that this is indeed the great and the royal commandment to love the Lord our God and to love our neighbor as ourselves. Lord, I pray that your love would fill our hearts and motivate us. And I ask, Lord, that... If we have to admit to ourselves there is a direction in which our love is having a hard time reaching, our love is strained, or maybe even in some cases, if we're honest, is not present, at least in that warmth of affection part, I pray that you would rekindle and awaken that love in our hearts, and that you would help us, O Lord, to, as much as is within us, reach out to our brothers and sisters, Lord, our relatives, our neighbors, in ways that demonstrate the love of Christ. Lord, let your love fill our hearts. Over this next day, as we uh, mark a day on a calendar and we go through whatever rituals or not that people have, Lord, I just pray that, that we would be duly impacted with what it means to truly love one another, the self-sacrifice that is involved, the humility that is involved, the boundary of power The, the ways that love causes us to lay down our lives for one another. Lord, I pray that we, would, that, the, that we would recall and that we would be impressed and that we would allow your spirit to fill us with your kind of love. Thank you, Lord, for your people. Thank you for the privilege of, of giving today. Lord, help us Help us to be faithful to you. Help us to be faithful to one another. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Well, I uh, trust that you'll have a great day. Enjoy your Valentine's Day. And uh, love one another well. God bless you all.